Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk USC football recruiting. we got Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst for uscfootball.com, for scout.com. He's going to be joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter at gmart live lots of recruiting questions we want to get to we haven't had him on for a couple weeks he's on a little vacay a little staycay i guess you could say so we'll talk with gerard and we want to make it interactive so keep sending in those questions we do love to hear from you podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address if you want to leave us a voicemail you can do that too we've got a few of those 641-715-3900 is the number 641-715-3900 and leave it at a voicemail box 816 816- 646. You can leave that number, leave us a voicemail, and we will play it on the air and try to answer your question. You can also go to our website, parastylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page from your device, your computer. Lots of different ways to get a hold of us, and you love to, we love to hear from you. And here is Gerard Martinez, as aforementioned. What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing good. Just uh, got done doing a little surfing out there in uh, South Africa, uh, fighting off uh, bull sharks. Uh, no, no, I wasn't really doing that. <laughs> Vacation, I was doing right? the tent of Troy. That's what I was doing on my working vacation. Yeah, well, I mean, you need Gerard's. I I like taking vacations, as you know. Gerard is not a guy that goes away a lot. Doesn't take a lot of vacations. It's almost like you have to force him to go out and do something. And you know, a couple weeks of staycation where you didn't do a ton of work. It just kind of relax. You're still around. It's hard to it's hard to get away from the business that we do. But was it nice to just kind of like chill a little bit? Yes, yes. It was good not to be on the peristyle every day for 10 hours a day. Um, it's hard, you know. You, you, you want to answer people's questions. You want to be there. We want to be the best of the best of the best. I mean, we've always tried to strive to be the best team site on any network. I mean, that's always kind of been our goal. And, and regardless of, you know, how many subscriptions we have in comparison to, you know, other markets where you've got, you know, Texas and Florida State and, you know, Tennessee and, you know, obviously these fan bases are pretty big. Uh, doesn't matter. I mean, you know, you've always set the bar high. I've always wanted to set the bar high. So it's hard to just, you know, kind of walk away when I know, you know, recruiting is 24-7 and never ends. Um, but it is a dead period right now, and it is very quiet. So, you know, back end of the opening in July, you can kind of take a breath and kind of step away for a little bit. And then, obviously, we've got fall camp coming in. And I always try to, you know, jump in there and help the team guys when it comes to, uh, you know, reporting on the team and doing fall camp and doing spring ball in the season. So we'll be out there for that excited to see all the freshmen coming in in august yeah he's a man that wears many hats gerard martinez you can follow him on twitter at gmart live and before we jump into all the recruiting topics i wanted to thank our sponsor for the tuesday podcast michael moline real estate he's a great trojan fan he loves following recruiting he loves usc uh, he hates the crosstown rival ucla but if you give him a call 310-275-4688 if you have any real estate needs or you can go to his website Michael Moline Real Estate.com. He does a great job. And uh, if you're here in Southern California or you know someone that needs some real estate help, uh, he can definitely help you out if you want to get help from a true Trojan. Michael's definitely one of those. I ended up having lunch with him last week and him and his son. It was a lot of fun. So 
Uh, check it out. It's always fun. You can swap some USC stories. Even if you don't buy a house or list a house or whatever, you can swap some USC stories with him. And he's got some, some interesting stuff. And there'll be a message from him at the end of the show, too. And uh, Gerard, I guess we can kind of jump right into things. And um, big news since you were on your staycation was the uh, Jordan Parker announcement. A guy we got to see up at the opening. Uh, wide, I mean, excuse, excuse me, defensive back from Pittsburgh in California, not Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, we put up some highlights of him, uh, some of the stuff that we shot, so people can see it on uscfootball.com. But didn't really expect to see him decommit from UCLA right away. I, I don't think the decommit was unexpected, but just the timing seemed a little unexpected. Yeah, the timing was a little bit unexpected. His original commitment, however, was unexpected as well. He took an unofficial visit to USC, and then literally about an hour and a half later, went over to UCLA, and the next thing you know, he committed to UCLA, which shocked everybody. Uh, and then what was even more strange and kind of weird about the recruitment and the twist that came afterwards was a day later we were at the passing down tournament in Fullerton, and he was there with his Northern California team. And I asked him just, you know, are you still looking at USC? At that point, you know, it was 24 hours <laughs> since his commitment to UCLA. And usually at that point, kids are like, man, I'm a Bruin. I'm 100% powder blue. Let's go. You know, we're going to win the national championship, Jim Mora, yada, yada, yada. Or if it's USC, it's the same thing. I'm all Cardinal gold fight on. Maybe they say, yeah, you know, I'm still going to take my visits. But usually they're pretty, um, you know, focused on that school that they just committed to. But with Jordan Parker, I mean, he raved about his USC visit and raved about Keith Hayward, the defensive backs coach, and raved about the tradition and said many of the same things about USC as he did about UCLA and why he committed to UCLA. So it was very strange. Um, I think it was one of those things that he just did it because he was impulsive. He was there with a few other guys and just felt the vibe from UCLA. But everybody felt like, yes, he was still going to take his official visits. He said he was going to camp with USC for Rising Stars. He never made it because of summer school. I think USC kind of gave him a pass for that, but there was a little bit of uh, trepidation there. I think, you know, is he really going to come down and really give USC a look if he's not taking uh, that camp visit like he said all along? Um, but now, as he's decommitted from UCLA officially, I think you would have to say USC's in the driver's seat. It's not the best position for a leader that you could really kind of, you know, define. I think if you're going to say they're in the driver's seat, uh, to illustrate it would be USC's in the driver's seat, no seatbelt, one leg hanging out the door, and the door's open right now. So, I mean, they're in the driver's seat, but it's not necessarily like a secure position in the driver's seat with Jordan Parker. He's definitely looking at Oklahoma. Oregon is a school that can make it very, very interesting for him if they offer him a scholarship. They have yet to offer him a scholarship. He really likes Oregon. I will say to Oregon's credit, their coaching staff, the way they've recruited, they've gone after guys that they feel fit their system and fit their program. And there have been some good players. Dylan Crawford is a good example, the wide receiver from Santa Margarita, who is a very, very good wide receiver. The word on the street is they have not offered him a scholarship because they just don't like him character-wise. They just don't think he fits their program. And he's a guy that you'd look at and physically in terms of on the field, he would fit the program, he would fit the, the, the style of offense that they have. But they just don't feel like he fits the program from a character personality standpoint, and they haven't offered him a scholarship. And that's a guy that would have committed to Oregon probably months ago. So we're going to look and see how, what happens with Jordan Parker. They have yet to offer him a scholarship. USC has, like I said, Oklahoma's there. There's some other out-of-state schools that he would look at. But really right now, it's kind of USC, and we're going to see what happens with Oregon. 
All right. Uh, thanks for that little intro of what some of the big news were. There's some other stuff we're going to kind of uh, talk about during some of these questions because we do have a lot of questions, Gerard. So let's jump right in with a voicemail question. Uh, this is about the USC receiver position. Here you go. JD from DC, uh, question for Gerard. Uh, out of state wide receiver recruiting. Uh, Gerard, you got to look at Velas Jones and uh, Freddie Swain at the Rising Stars camp, I believe. What's your assessment of these two out of state players? It sounds like USC is showing a lot more interest in Swain, and Jones received the um, MVP uh, award while he was there. Uh, but how do these guys compare with the in-state wide receivers USC has recruited and is looking at? I'm particularly interested in how Velas Jones stacked up against Amari Rogers as a potential slot receiver at USC. Jones was excellent at the Rising Stars camp. And, and really, the interesting thing about it, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast or maybe just a piece uh, kind of reviewing the Rising Stars camp, the thing about Jones and Amari Rogers is that they were so so similar and sort of similar even just facially in their body types that it took us a while to figure out who was who. I actually you know, was talking to Ryan who was shooting video up top, and I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy with the USC gloves, that's Phyllis Jones. The guy over here, I think that's Amari Rogers, and it actually turned around to be the opposite. So they were very much kind of similar in terms of their production, um, very quick. I think the thing about Jones is that he showed a bit of top-end speed that we had not seen, and we didn't really know if he had or not. And I think that really separates him from a lot of the other receivers in this class. USC could end up getting six guys who could project at wide receiver next year, next fall for them. But none of those guys is really a burner. Willis Jones is not necessarily, I would say, a quote-unquote burner, but he does have a little bit of that separation speed at the end of his route that I have not seen from a lot of these other guys. And I think that was the most intriguing thing about him. I think that was the exciting thing about him for USC fans, looking at the other guys in this class that they could get. they got a lot of guys in this class that are good possession receivers. Uh, they, they catch the ball well in different ways underneath, but nobody that's really going to blow the top off of the defense. Uh, I think with Freddie Swain, he really falls into that category again with the other receivers that are in this class that are already committed as more of a possession-type guy. He's not fast. He's not going to blow you away with his 40 time, uh, but he is incredibly fundamentally sound. He's very smooth. Um, there's been you know a lot of kind of comparisons to Robert Woods. He's not the athlete Robert Woods was. Robert Woods was just a better overall kind of raw athlete. Uh, you know, Woods for Sarah was playing defensive back. He was kick returner. He kind of did all those things because athletically he could really do all those things. Swain's not that type of guy. Swain's not returning kicks for anybody. Uh, but he is uh, very, very aware with the ball in the air. He was really, uh, I mean, he was good at Rising Stars. He was kind of on the spectacular side, really, at the opening. I don't want to kind of over-emphasize it too much, but he was really, really good for his team. And I think he's one of those guys that it's going to be interesting to see how things play out because he is the one that's going to commit last. He's going to commit in October. I think it's October 19th, 18th. I'm not 100% sure of the date, but it's going to be in October. It's when uh, North Marion, his high school, plays Hoover High School in Alabama. It's going to be a nationalized television uh, or televised game on uh, ESPN. And so he wants to do it then. 
That's going to be a little later. Obviously, we'll already see what happens with Tyler Vaughn, the 6'2", 180-pound receiver out of Bishop Amat. He's going to commit August 22nd. So you're already going to have those five guys on the board, and we're going to see what happens you know, with Freddie Swain, whether he is swayed by the amount of commits that they have at receiver or just the fact that, you know, maybe USC decides uh, we don't really need to take another receiver. At this point, it doesn't look like they're going to turn Freddie Swain away. But he is a guy that, you know, maybe some things happen during the season and you get talk of transfers, guys get hurt, you start to look at your roster and you have to kind of self-evaluate and see what your needs are uh, per position. So we'll see how it shakes out. You know, there's a lot of stuff that can happen between now and October. And and obviously another thing to interject just with with Jones and Swain, with Jones – He's a guy that's very, very soft verbal. I mean, he's a guy that, uh, you know, talking to him about his commitment to USC, he's basically said, you know, I'm going to take my visits, I'm looking around, and you never know what could happen in the future. The thing is, at this point, he really doesn't have any huge, big, you know, kind of comparing offers that would maybe sway him away from USC. The biggest offer he has next to USC is really Florida. Florida's working them hard, and they're trying, but Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, to this point, those schools have not offered him yet. So we'll see what happens down the line. He could have a huge senior season. Alabama or uh, Auburn turns around, offers him a scholarship, maybe even Tennessee. And because, you know, the wide receiver position at USC looks a little bit crowded, maybe he takes off. So uh, that's obviously something, too. You know, any of those guys, they're just verbally committed. It doesn't mean necessarily USC is going to sign six guys. And obviously it doesn't mean they're going to sign six guys just because they're all projected to play wide receiver. Some of those guys uh, are going to come in as an athlete and maybe can end up playing another position down the line. All right. Uh, Let's go to Melvin. He has a question. He says, "I realize that the 2016 class, uh, I, I, I realize that the 2016 class list is an impressive list of verbals, by the way. But they're only verbals, and things can change come February. Uh, how, however, do you believe most or all of the verbals are pretty solid for USC, and do we have an excellent chance of ultimately signing them?" Boy, that's the crystal ball question, <laughs> and that's tough. That's tough to say because it's a matter of what happens during the season with USC. And we've talked about this ad nauseum, but the season is a big deal. If USC tanks and you have another 7-6 and six type year, we saw what happened in 2012 with all those guys, number one recruiting class in the country, Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, uh, Trondi Prevo, you had, uh, you know, Eddie Vanderdose, a lot of guys committed and USC tanked, and the recruiting class didn't completely tank, but it definitely took a big hit. And because there was a lot of uncertainty there with Lane Kiffin and his coaching staff. And if USC tanks this year, guess what? There's going to be a lot of uncertainty with Steve Sarkeesian and his coaching staff. So to say that uh, all these guys are completely locked up, done deal, I, I can't say that without seeing what USC does this season. Now, if you want me to project and try to predict how USC does this season, I think they're very capable of having 10 wins, 11 wins. I really do. And I think if you win 10 games, 11 games, then yes, the majority of these guys are going to end up signing. You're going to have some early enrollees, uh, guys like C.J. Pollard. Um, you know, I, I, I think in, uh, Josh Imator Bebe is going to be an early enrollee. Matt Fink is trying to be an early enrollee. Malky Stovall, uh, Frank Martin. Um, there's a few guys in the class. Dalen Hayes wants to be an early enrollee. I think a majority of the core class 
stays with USC unless they just really have a bad season. And then the questions about Steve Sarkeesian start to come up and whether he's going to stay with the program. Uh, but if you don't have that, then yes, I think USC is going to be able to keep a majority of these guys locked up, and they're going to sign a really, really good class. All right, and he had a follow-up. Um, in the last two recruiting classes, Coach Sark seemed to get a string of the big-time players committing on the final day of recruiting. Do you think that, again, will be the strategy this coming year? I think that there's going to be, yeah, a big lull during the season. Uh, you're not going to see, I think, a, a lot of commitments um, during the season from official visits or what have you. I think there's going to be, you know, the big push that they made this summer. Um, got some guys committed in early that I think uh, kind of was open-ended whether they were going to make summer decisions. Guys like Trevon Sidney, who was pretty much, eh, you know, I'm going to take the process out, comes in, boom, all of a sudden, next thing you know, yeah, I want to commit early. Um, a guy like Tyler Vaughn, who's, you know, originally was, I'm going to wait till the end, and then it sort of changed. And obviously, you know, again, this is sort of, you know, the 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 recruiting kind of impacting itself the guys that you're recruiting and getting committed, all of a sudden there's a domino effect from that, and that itself can kind of change the game a little bit midstream. I mean, I don't think if, you know, they only had two wide receiver commits right now, um, I don't necessarily know that Tyler Bond is going to commit in August. I don't know that Trevon City decides to already commit at the opening. Those guys may have waited because they might not have felt the pressure with the spot starting to fill up. So that in itself has kind of led to, you know, sort of a, a snowball effect of getting a bunch of early commits. But now I think after Vaughn, you're going to see quite a bit of a lull. Uh, we'll see guys like Devin Asiasi probably go through the process, probably not make a decision until December, January. Um, you'll see some of these out-of-state guys. I mean, Isaac Nata is an example of a guy that wants to officially visit USC uh, for the UCLA game. 6'4", 240-pound tight end. The best tight end at the opening that we saw, bar none. Probably the best tight end in the country. Currently committed to FSU. But he, personality-wise, is a guy that I could see really falling in love with Southern California, and obviously at the tight end position, USC's got some pretty good, um, you know, pretty good depth chart from a recruiting standpoint for guys that want to play early. You know, maybe USC with a good season could make that a little interesting battle. Um, so I think, yeah, there's going to be a few guys there that you know are kind of you know hanging out there at the end. Um, guys are going to wait to the last minute. Obviously, you know, one guy that we've talked about that's going to wait to the last minute is going to be Jackie Jones, a 5'11", 175-pound athlete from Long Beach Poly, number one athlete in the country, five-star. He's going to wait to the end, and he's going to be a signing day guy. He's going to be just like Iman Marshall and kind of go through that same process, and I, I almost guarantee you it's going to be very, very similar. It's going to be like deja vu for Trojan fans, uh, <laughs> hopefully in a good way at the end of the day uh, with him signing at USC. Lamar Jackson, the guy that's going to make his commitment at the uh, Under Armour game, um, which is going to be, you know, in early January. So, yeah, you're going to have a, a handful of guys here that, you know, USC, you know, maybe four or five guys that are leading up to the end um, to try to have a real strong, you know, number one class again. It, and really, to have a number one class, you've got to recruit well in January. And all of these guys that are committed in July and everything, it doesn't matter a whole lot. It's really about January and those official visits and those home visits. Um, you know, Jordan Elliott's a great example of a guy, 6'4", 305-pound defensive tackle from Houston, commuted to, committed to Houston. He did, committed to Baylor uh, early spring, then boom, decided to decommit, said USC was his leader, his dream school. Then he turned around and committed to Houston. 
Not a bad thing for USC. He could stay committed to Houston. He's going to officially visit USC. USC just needs to kind of just stay there in the cut, just kind of hang back a little bit, hang back a little bit, and then try to line up that official visit. And more importantly, that in-home visit with him and his mom late in the process be able to close the deal. Because guess what? Texas is going to be there. Texas A&M is going to be there. All those schools are still recruiting him. LSU's offered him. So it's not going to be a real easy slam dunk type thing, but I think he's the type of guy that USC can close with. But it's got to be a strong close. And, you know, coaching changes. There's a lot of things that happen there after the season that also can impact the recruiting class. I mean, T. Martin, everybody talks about him being a dynamic recruiter. Somebody goes and, you know, hires him as an offensive coordinator at another school and he leaves USC, then everybody's going to freak out and panic about what's going on with the wide receiver class. And all these guys like T. Martin, and now T. Martin's not there, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to see what's going to happen. James Carquise is going to have to bring in another good wide receiver coach that these guys all like and, and kind of have a rapport with and, and build that quickly in order to maintain that class. So, again, we're talking in July, man. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. Certainly is. Uh, lots, lots and lots of time between now and February 2016 signing day, uh, but lot, lots of news between now and then. So keep st- tuning into the podcast, USAFootball.com, for all that. Let's go to Randall in Dallas. He says, thank you for hosting the podcast. Are we losing out on Darnay Holmes because of Deshaun Holmes? And also, what do you think about Caleb Kelly? Is he window dressing by listing us in his top, te- uh, top seven to give the idea that he is not afraid of competition? Thanks for answering my question. And fight on Randall in Dallas. Last question first. Yes, rapid fire. Uh, I don't believe that Caleb Kelly is really seriously looking at USC because I don't think USC is really seriously looking at Caleb Kelly. Um, things can change, but the last I heard, which was you know in June, he had come down to the passing uh, tournament that USC had on campus, and I think from that point on, two guys that sort of dropped off their list were uh, Lokini Toyloa, the middle linebacker from Rialto Carter High School, who was committed to UCLA, that USC was in constant contact with, um, and then Caleb Kelly, who USC had already sort of started to back off a bit on, and um, you know he had originally dropped USC from his list, and then USC got back on his list. A little Keyshawn, lose yourself, if you remember him last year, the defensive end from Orange Lutheran High School, sort of back and forth with USC, and it you know, inevitably ended up at UCLA. And I think with Caleb Kelly, he's probably going to end up at Oklahoma, perhaps UCLA. I mean, UCLA sort of slipped with him. They actually weren't even in his top seven. But, again, I, I don't put a lot of stock into – those top favorite schools as of right now with a guy like Kelly. Um, now with uh, who's the, who's the first guy that uh, what the question was about? Oh, I'm sorry. So you're the Darnay Holmes is what the Darnay Holmes. Yeah, yeah, Darnay Holmes and Deshaun Holmes. You know, I don't think it really has a huge impact. Deshaun Holmes really, you know, he he kind of dug his own grave there with his grades. Um, he had transferred out of Alamany in the middle of the year, right right during finals, evidently, and went to Mirror didn't really go to class a whole lot at Muir. And, and, you know, I mean, it was has some family problems. And, you know, his grandmother died. And there was a lot of stuff going back and forth. And he lived in Pasadena, so he went back to Muir. But, you know, Muir's got some academic issues. They, they have a hard time getting guys out right now. They've kind of got a little bit of a reputation where these guys that are coming out of Muir, their transcripts are just a mess. And you've seen transfers out of Muir already this past year from some top players. And a guy like Deshaun Holmes, who was there, ended up transferring back to Alamany at the end of the year. So it was kind of a mess. His, his grades were a mess. He ended up, I think he's at Hawaii or San Diego State. I think it's San Diego State. He committed to Hawaii, and then he ended up at San Diego State. Can't put that on USC. I mean, USC tried. They got him committed early. They tried to get him on track. But it was very clear, I think, that it was going to be a long shot to be able to get him in. 
I think with Darnay Holmes, he just likes Stanford. I think that Stanford's got uh, a good sort of uh, niche there with a few guys. Um, they're working hard with, you know, David Long is another guy that's very close to Darnay Holmes that they have a good shot at. Uh, there's a few guys there that they're working on. And, you know, Stanford's got the quiz. I mean, that's the other spectrum there. You're talking about Deshaun Holmes and his grade issues. You know, uh, Stanford's got these fantastic uh, academics, and, and they sell that hard. It's a beautiful school. And so they're still relevant from a football standpoint. And I say still because they've definitely taken a step backwards from what Jim Harbaugh had him at. We're going to have to see, you know, how things go and, and whether, you know, they can kind of get back to being the team they were. But, I mean, they lost to USC the last two years. Close games, but USC certainly wasn't at 100%. Uh, and to lose those games were, were pretty big, and they haven't really been able to follow up outside of beating UCLA uh, with, you know, the bigger programs that they played. They haven't been able to consistently beat people. So we'll see what happens with Stanford. I mean, they're, they're sort of – got a great – they've got a really good class right now. Uh, they could follow it up. But, you know, again, it's what you do on the field definitely impacts recruiting. We, we can't overlook that. We get all excited about all this stuff that happens during the offseason because the offseason is so much longer than the offseason. You know, <laughs> when we're, we're playing football, it's like it comes and goes so quickly, and then we're sitting around here and during the summer and talking about guys, uh, you know, T-shirt All-Americans and how great they are, and we forget, you know what, football's played with helmets and pads on. It certainly is, and we're gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of that in the next, you know, coming weeks when fall camp starts and, of course, high school football season and the regular season and NFL and all that fun stuff. So we've seen a lot of passing tournaments, Gerard. We're ready for pads, I think. Dude, from February to January – or, excuse me, well, it is basically February to January. That's how much I work. But, <laughs> but in terms of passing league, it's basically now the end of February to – uh, the beginning of July. That's 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 how it goes. That's yeah. that's all. Every weekend, there's something going on that you got to cover. You got to go to, and it's. Uh, I mean, that's obviously a lot longer than the regular season of football. So. Um, you you got to take a step back. You can get immersed in it, and you go, oh, my gosh, it's so important. And this guy, you know, he had 12 catches in this passing league game. He's so good. And you, you forget about, you know, but there's no tackling. There's no blocking. There's, you know, another, you know, four or five guys that would be on the field here that we don't see that are called defensive and offensive linemen. <laughs> you forget about all that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, definitely changed the game. I mean, it's changed recruiting because, obviously, these kids are getting way more exposure and it's changed the game and the fact that the 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 evaluation of it you know is sort of i think you, you people can get kind of wrapped up in you know how how good a guy looks like in shorts and in a shirt and catching the football and you know sometimes those guys that are good in you know shorts and shirts they get the pads on they get a little scared they get a little scurry as they say in the south yeah <laughs> um well we're looking forward to it like i said so keep st- sticking with uscfootball.com we'll have all the updates there um, we talked about wide receivers a little bit, but Mike uh, Quartz had a question about that. He said, you posted on the P, Gerard, uh, concerning four verbally committed receivers and then two on deck. Can you speculate how bringing in six receivers might work into the long-range plans of the staff? Well, that's the obvious conjecture and speculation on where guys end up playing. Um, do I think USC is really going to field six receivers if they get them all committed? Maybe for the first week of fall camp. Um, I don't think they all sort of fit into the wide receiver mold down the, down the line. I think there's definitely going to be, I, I would say at least two guys that probably end up playing another position. And, and who it is, 
is not, I don't think is obvious as people think. I mean, a lot of people look at Michael Pittman and they say, that guy's not going to play receiver. 6'4", 210, he's going to end up playing some other position. I, I, can, I can see that argument. You know, I, I can see that argument. I, I, don't, I originally liked him as a safety. I think he's grown out of that now. I'm watching him playing safety, watching him playing in space. Again, in passing league, okay, I just went on my rant about passing league and I'm talking about evaluation based most on passing league um, and Nike camps. Uh, but I, I don't see him being a safety anymore. I think if he moves, he moves down and probably outside linebacker. Even a tight end, I don't know if he's going to be that big. Um, Pops was pretty big. I mean, Pops was about 235, I think, and about six foot playing for the Buccaneers. Um, so, you know, there's genetically, he could put, definitely put on some weight and definitely be 240-ish. Um, I just don't know if that would be the best position for him. I, I kind of think physically, mentality-wise, he would actually be a guy that might move down and actually be better as a linebacker. Um, but again, I'm not saying that he can't play receiver. Uh, he could play receiver. He could just, you know, end up being 220, 225 and be a big receiver. The one thing I'll say about Michael Pittman is that of all the guys USC has recruited as big receivers over the past years, he is one of the few that actually plays like a big receiver. You watch his film and he plays big. He never gets tackled on the first contact. Um, and so many of these guys that we've seen, guys going back to, you know, Patrick Turner and David Osbury, they weren't real physical in terms of how they played with the ball in their hands or how they played with the ball in the air. And Michael Pittman at least plays physically that way. Obviously, you got Trevon Sidney, a guy that I've kind of compared to Macho Harris. If, you know, recruit Knicks remember Macho Harris that ended up at Virginia Tech. Um, but, you know, there's, there's differences in their style of play, too, because Macho Harris is a pretty physical, aggressive kid as a defensive back. Um, Trevon Sidney, while, you know, there's some athleticism comparisons there, he's a finesse guy all the way. I think my comparison to him has been, you know, he's sort of a more of a soccer forward in terms of his athleticism, his footwork. His, he's not a 4-4 guy. He's not really crazy fast. He doesn't put up great times, but he plays crazy fast, and he does really well. Now, this goes back to the T-shirt All-Americans rant you know, we've seen him be spectacular this offseason. He was spectacular at the opening. I mean, here's the thing, and this is what I, you know, kind of said in the breakdown of him and when he committed and the analysis. The real important thing to point out about him and him being, you know, as good as he has this offseason is that the teams that he's played on, Body by Trey, which is the, the AAU club team that he plays with, also has Tyler Vons, Dylan Crawford, David Long and K.J. Costello as a quarterback. Who is the best receiver? Who is the most productive? Who is the guy that every weekend was K.J. Costello's go-to guy? It was not Tyler Vaughn. It was not Dylan Crawford. It was not David Long. It was Trevon Sidney. We look at the opening. He played on a team with, goodness, I think it was Nate Craig. Um, oh, I'm, 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 there was like three other guys, and I'm blanking on the other guys that were in there. There was like two other guys on that team that were like five-star, four-star guys that were really good players. Theo Howard, I think, was on his team as well. I think Theo Howard was, yeah. Who was the guy making all the catches? Outside of Jack Jones, who actually came over the second day and started playing offense as well, which is kind of a testament to how athletic and how good he is. But it was Tremont Sidney. He was the guy for that team. So you're not just talking about a guy that's playing well and because he's you know, on a team and he's the guy and it's different during the offseason and the season. He is playing alongside 
really good players, and he ends up being the guy. The quarterbacks know it. The quarterbacks start throwing the ball, and they realize, if I throw the ball in that guy's direction, he's going to be there, and he's going to catch it. He's reliable. Now, what we have to see from him is the season when we put on the pads and the helmets. He last year kind of disappeared for much of the year. He was not the guy. Tyler Vaughn's was the guy. Tyler Vaughn's was the guy with, you know, like 1,800 yards receiving and, and, and all the touchdowns, 12 touchdowns. It wasn't Trevon Sidney. So we're going to have to see if it's just Trevon Sidney's just matured and it's just the light bulb's gone on for him and he's just going to take it and run with it and next season's going to be huge for him. Or is he a guy that's great in T-shirt and great in shorts but not necessarily the big time when the lights are on and you're playing real football you know, is the same type of player. But he's a guy that, you know, even if it doesn't work out as a receiver, could be a very, very good cornerback. So you have guys. There's definitely some versatility there within that receiving group. You know, I don't see Freddie Swain playing another position. Um, Tyler Vaughn, I would really actually, I personally, and I've, I've was shouted down from other people when I've mentioned this to other recruiting analysts, I would like to see what Tyler Vaughn could do at corner. I would really, really like to see what he could do as a cornerback because he is so long. He is very methodical. He's not very quick. He's not a quick player. Um, But he's so long, and his awareness and his ball skills are so good. I just would like to see what he could do as a corner. Um, I I mean, USC's recruiting him as a receiver, and I I doubt that that ever happens, that we ever see what happens. Um, But that's a guy that I kind of, you know, I'm a little more interested. I think he's a little more versatile than people give credit to. So long story short, definitely a lot of versatility there. There's a lot of things that could play out. Guys can move positions, you know, Pittman and all these guys. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of just have to see how it all shakes out and, and certainly, you know, who stays committed and who doesn't. Like I said, maybe it's six guys that sign. Maybe it's only four guys that sign. All right. Uh, let's move on. we got a bunch more questions to get to. Let's. Uh, here's a voicemail question for you. Hey, guys. This is Riley up in Seattle, a longtime listener, first time sending a question in. Um, thanks for doing the show. I love it. Good way to get through the week. Uh, my question is a recruiting question, so I'm not sure if it's a question best for uh, Gmart or uh, you, Ryan, or Dan, but I'm curious what you think of the uh, recent emphasis that seems to have been placed on skill position players and kind of our lack of getting those big D-line commits, kind of like Alabama has with Raquan Davis and Rashawn J- uh, Gary. Seeing them up at the opening uh, got me thinking that it'd be nice to have a couple of those guys coming in as well. So I'd like to hear what you kind of think about um, the influx of skill players that have been committing lately. And if you see any uh, big, strong, fast D linemen coming our way here in the near future, thanks again for doing the show and fight on. Everybody wants to know about the D linemen because that's the SEC thing. You know, that's, that's what separates the SEC from everybody is the depth at defensive line. And that's, you know, an arguable point that's come up on the peristyle, whether that's really a thing or not. Um, but certainly that's where that comes from. Now, point to point out, which people just keep, I don't know, they keep forgetting, USC signed five interior defensive linemen last year, and they, they run a 3-4. So you're talking about three guys that are down, and you're rotating for three down interior defensive linemen. Uh, 2-4 techniques, maybe, you know, sometimes they play five and the guy that's over the center playing in one shade or zero technique. Uh, so they five guys last year. Christian Rector will have his hand down, will play defensive end, will be an interior lineman. Uh, Kevin Scott, Rasheen Green, Noah Jefferson, 
and Jacob I know Dan. I was going to forget one. Oh, Jacob, uh, Jacob Daniel. So you, so that's that's pretty good. That's a really big class. Uh, now USC has two guys that right now are listed as defensive ends, but will play interior defensive line for USC. Lee, uh, Liam Jemmons, he's going to play probably interior defensive line for USC. Now, right now, he's only about you know, 240, 250 pounds, but he's a guy that USC's projecting to put on 30, 40 pounds um, you know, by the time he gets on the field. So that's a guy that's a defensive line commit that's committed that USC liked at his camp, uh, lineman camp. They offered him. He committed. Boom. Uh, Keanu Salapaga, same thing. Guy's about 270, 275 right now, 6'5", interior defensive line. Now, USC, what they're looking for now is kind of a bigger guy, um, a guy like maybe Jordan Elliott, who's, you know, 6'4", 305 pounds, a big body kid that can probably, he played mostly defensive end at the Rising Stars camp, but he could probably play some one shade. Keyshawn Camp, another guy, already committed, 6'4", and about 270, 280, uh, but another guy that's a defensive lineman. So you're talking about four guys right now that are three guys that are committed, one other guy that is, is a pretty good shot uh, at getting him as things stand right now, following up a class of five. That's pretty much what you're asking for. I mean, that's, that's, that's USC is recruiting a bunch of defensive linemen. Now, they're recruiting a bunch of receivers too, but – they also didn't sign any receivers last year. And you're going to say, wait, no, Gerard, they signed two Juco guys. You've got to remember they're Juco guys. you got one guy, uh, Isaac Whitney, two to play two. So he could actually leave after this year. He could have a great year this year and leave. Well, we don't expect that, but we don't know what's going to happen. And then he'll be a senior. Um, then you've got Daquan the, the, the Hampton, who's got three to play two who, you know, doesn't want a red shirt probably, so he's looking at it as I got two to play to. So you got two guys with limited eligibility plus a blue shirt and Deontay Burnett. So, you know, and, and, they, and they lose, you know, Nelson Aguilar, you lost uh, Marquise Lee. Uh, you really have not been able to replenish the top-end receivers um, in, in these past classes. So this is the class where USC wants to strike gold. This is the class where USC doesn't have a lot of depth. And you look at the depth chart, and there's really one. I mean, it's Juju Smith, and you got Darius Rogers, who people are hoping step up. The real kind of, you know, the, 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 the variable, uh, the guy that could kind of change the perception would obviously be Stephen Mitchell. If he can come back healthy and be the dynamic Stephen Mitchell that we saw at Alameda High School, then you start to go, okay, USC's not so bad at wide receiver. But we have yet to see any production from him. And, and some of the other guys that are there uh, that, that have just kind of hung around for a little bit, it's not a group of, you know, killers. So we're going to have to see what happens. Um, but that's why USC can recruit all these receivers because the receivers are looking at the depth chart and they know who they can come in and, and play over. Uh, and, and the coaching staff obviously knows that they're not really deep at wide receiver and they want to be able to get those guys and have some rotation. Because remember, just like with the defensive line, people want depth because you want to have a deep rotation and you want to keep guys that are fresh and keep pass rushing. Your receivers, you know, last year, USC, I remember having a conversation with T. Martin. And he looked at me and he goes, T. Martin, dude, we don't have a second team of wide receivers. Like, Sark's like, put on our second team guys. That's walk-ons. We don't have a second team of guys. Like, we've got some of our first team guys getting way too many reps in practice. And by the time the game comes around, these guys are tired because they've been practicing all week long. We're in a normal situation when you've got eight and five. You're not going to have – you've got depth of receiver. Your, your first team guys are not getting that many reps in practice. So – 
it's you know kind of a combination of getting back to the you know the regular uh, 85 scholarships, but definitely developing depth at the receiver position and trying in this class to find another guy. They want to find that you know Marquise Lee. They want to find that Nelson Aguilar. They want to find because that guy right now. I mean Juju Smith is kind of the only guy that has any amount of production. Um, any kind of amount of star quality uh, from, you know, the receiving core, unless, like I said, Stephen Mitchell steps up. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I don't think it's quite, you know, people are kind of freaking out a little bit and going, man, we need more defensive linemen, we need more defensive linemen. And they've got three guys committed, um, maybe four, and you're talking about, you know, you're fielding three guys and you signed five guys last year. It's it's not that bad. I mean, it's certainly last year's class was a was a home run. I think in terms of getting quality interior defensive linemen. Um, you know, is there if there's a guy that pops up from out of state down south somewhere that you know wants to come out and uh, you know maybe an Antoine Jackson or they get a second look at a guy like Julian Rochester and they committed to Georgia. Whatever those guys right now, they're not serious about USC. They didn't come out for rising stars. They're talking about official visits. USC's got to hit a home run with the season and really have some momentum to be able to kind of bring those guys out. Rashawn Gary is a, kind of a long shot at this point, uh, but they're not going to turn any of those guys away. It's not like they're they're not recruiting him. It's just a matter of you know what kind of shot do you have a guy and you know do we spin on the wheels on some guy in North Carolina that we really like that we know is going to be a five star guy and what have you that doesn't come out and unofficially visit. Or do we go find a guy like Keanu Salopaga or Liam Jemmins that we feel we can develop within the system and end up being a guy down the road for us? And, and, and I think if you're a West Coast football team, that's what you have to do first and foremost because you can't just depend on, oh, yeah, we're going to sign three guys from Georgia this year. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So um, I, I think identifying those two guys that they got committed, plus they did. Hey, they did get Keyshawn Camp. I mean, don't forget about that from Florida. Um, I think that's, you know, they're doing what they can. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Yeah, there's a lot. That's a common theme, Gerard, with a lot of these questions. So if we skip a question and it has to do with that, that's why we've, we've kind of discussed that topic already. Uh, we have a Canadian Trojan fan on the Peristyle. He is Mac24USC uh, checking in. He says, welcome back from the opening. You kept me entertained all week with coverage uh, from you and your team. Uh, what a great week for Trojan fans. I know we all mainly follow the Trojans, but reading even the national reviews on it, it's hard to think any other school really had or created more buzz recruiting-wise. He said, I love the two commitments of Pittman and Sydney. I think we got two dynamic, completely different style wideouts with these two. Allow me to make a comparison. Pittman to Mike Evans and Sydney to Steve Smith uh, Sr. I think Pittman will be a great receiver for us because he has a uh, tenacity to be either a defender or as a nasty blocker for our quick hit passes where a guy like Sydney can take the ball down the field with a good block like that. Are you willing to make any predictions for corners we will take in this class? Whoa, we just threw that question. Just, yeah, yeah. Just took a right turn, right? Yeah. <laughs> Talking about Michael Pittman and Toronto City. Perhaps there's a little bit of a there's a little mind games there. Is it Toronto City, Toronto City, uh, in corners? Uh, we talked about Toronto City a little bit. Uh, as a corner, um, obviously Jack Jones is the guy that's kind of first and foremost um, in that respect for cornerbacks. I mean, he's the best guy that USC has a good shot at. Um, they messed around with some guys, you know, out of state. Uh, this really doesn't seem like they have a ton of traction. The only guy that they did get out for Rising Stars who was very good, who I think 
USC has a much better shot at than people give them credit for, especially you know some of the people out of state, is Nigel Knott. Uh, he's the 5'11", 160-65-pound cornerback from Madison, Mississippi. Mississippi, 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 which is just a black hole for recruiting when it comes to just about anybody but the teams in the Deep South. I mean, it's just, you know, when, when's the last guy, last time USC got a commitment from Mississippi? I don't know. I probably wasn't born. Um, so it's um, the only intangible that USC can work uh, in terms of an angle with him is that his father played the NFL. He's got some, I think his, one of his brothers also um, played in the NFL. And so he may be a little more worldly than just the kid that grew up in Mississippi and his whole his family from Mississippi. Um, there might be a little more there, and USC's definitely trying to work that. I think that, like I said, he likes USC more than people give USC credit for, but does that mean that USC's going to get him? I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. Um, I think right now it's Jack Jones and probably Jordan Parker are the two top guys. I think those are the guys that USC has the best shot at and probably guys that USC's recruiting the hardest. Um, you know, there's also Byron Marshall there. Or excuse me, Byron Murphy. I say Byron Marshall all the time. I don't know why I do that. Byron, Mar- Byron Marshall plays running back for Oregon. Um, Byron Murphy, uh, the uh, 5'11", 160-65-pound cornerback um, from, uh, from Scottsdale, Arizona, He's a guy that a lot of people start talking about A&M with him because his teammate from Seguro, uh, Christian Kurt, went to Texas A&M. But very, very different stories here. First and foremost, from what I understand, sources that are close to him tell me that uh, he's probably not going to go that far away from home. His family wants him closer to home uh, than Texas A&M. So Washington and Texas A&M and some of these other schools that he's talking about and looking at, might not be as high on his list as it sounds like. Um, at least when you're talking about the whole family dynamic and kind of you know the recruiting process with with everybody involved when it comes down to crunch time. Uh, the other thing with Texas A&M is that Christian Kurt went there because their offense is dynamic and they throw for you know a million yards a game and oh yeah Johnny Football and all this and all that. But guess what? They suck defensively. They're terrible. Now they signed John Chavis. He's going to try to bring it back. He's going to try to change the game a little bit for them. They've got to change their offense to be able to be good defensively. And I know I've said this before, but I'm a big believer in your offensive scheme can definitely affect your defensive scheme and, and how well you play. And if you're running around and you're playing seven on in practice every day because you run five wide and it's an air raid offense and you never really run the ball, then you're not going to be able to stop the run because you never practice against the run. You don't practice against physicality. So that's going to be a big challenge for John Chavis if – um, you know, Kevin Sumlin just wants to continue to run an air raid offense and, and not really have a presence, you know, running the ball. Uh, Ohio State, you know, runs uh, kind of a sort of spready offense, but they really, it's a, it's a run spread, you know. And, and, and Oregon over the years have kind of gone a little more to, you know, let's, let's be a running offense. Like, we'll spread people out, but really we want to try to run the ball more than anything. They still haven't had the physicality, I think, that, you know, it's kind of showing up uh, their defense. The defense has been a little weak, and, and people have been able to run against them. Uh, but I, I think I've seen some, some adjustments and some changes a little bit with uh, – Who's your coach now? Helford? Helford? Helfrich? Helfrich, yeah. I forget how to pronounce it. I always forget. He's, he's such a kind of 
just, I mean, you know, when you had Chip Kelly, there's like Chip Kelly, you know, that's yeah, the Mark guy, you know, yeah. <laughs> their new coach is kind of like just the guy, you know, he's kind of, you know, and, and which is, you know, probably good for them. And I think it, it's, it, you know, personality wise, I think he fits well up there. And, and, and I think the team is, you know, gelled with him and how hard is it to follow a guy like Chip Kelly too? I mean, frick, Chip Kelly is pretty much uh, one of those guys. It's like kind of in that P Carroll type of like, he is the dude, you know? Um, so I, but, but I think they kind of sort of try to adjust and become a little more physically running the ball. Um, but you know, Ohio state, I mean, they were still running, you know, fullbacks and halfbacks in there and lead blocking. And, um, you know, when you got caught out Jones, who's, you know, weighs 250 pounds and you're practicing against that, your defense starts to become physical and they, and they tackle better. And I think that's the biggest issue with A&M. And then you kind of lay out, okay, traditionally, what has A&M done in terms of putting guys in the NFL from the defensive side of the ball? How about just Kevin Subman? You know, how many guys defensively is he put in the NFL? And that's a, you know, that's obviously a, a statistic that, you know, I don't think it helps Texas A&M in recruiting uh, Byron Murphy. So that makes the whole dynamic with him at Texas A&M. I'm not so just going to jump in and be like, yeah, Texas A&M, yeah, they're going to lead. He's going to go to Texas A&M. I don't think it's quite the same thing uh, as it was with Christian Kurt. I think it's really right now more in, or excuse me, ASU and USC for Byron Murphy. And Byron Murphy, definitely a big-time player. So, you know, that's kind of the group right now. I, I think with USC, the out-state guys are there, but eh, we'll see. Got to have, you know, kind of some miraculous happen, you know, during the season, which, you know, you get them in an official visit, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, bang, bang, bang. I think really you're looking at Byron Murphy um, and, and the two top guys being Jordan Parker and Jack Jones. That's, that's the cornerback situation for USC right now. All right. Uh, let's go to Terry, and it's kind of like a final I don't, I'm not saying it's the final question, but like kind of a, the finality of the recruiting class. He goes, Gerard, this time, with only six scholarship slots remaining and given a few soft commitments USC has, who would you like to see, uh, commitments-wise, uh, from among the top players that have not yet committed and who the USC staff is still recruiting hard? Okay. Uh, well, that last part kind of, you know, sort of shrinks the window a little bit. <laughs> it doesn't have to be open-ended. You know, who just naturally do you, would you like to be the last five guys uh, to commit to USC? And certainly my opinion is not the coach's opinion, so it's important to point that out. Uh, I think, you know, I think it's going to come down to Tyler Vaughn's. I think Tyler Vaughn's commits to USC. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. The Freddie Swain thing, I, right now I would say, yeah, he'd probably be in there too, but um Kind of hesitate because it is October and we're going to see another probably wide receiver commitment from Tyler Vaughn's, and I think that could impact some things. So I'm going to say Tyler Vaughn's right now, and considering it was asked, you know, what would you like to see? Probably one less receiver wouldn't be so bad. So Tyler Vaughn's, Devin Asiasi, I think would be a big deal. Um, it would be nice if USC could get a guy like Isaac Nada. Uh, that would be a huge steal at a position of need. And Devin Asiasi, the one thing about him, 6'5, 270, he could play defensive line too. I mean, that's a guy you talk about defensive ends. Ooh, big body, pretty athletic guy, quick feet. Um, he doesn't want to play defensive end. He wants to play tight end, and USC is going to bring him in to play tight end. Uh, but he could grow out of playing tight end real quickly. And so that could be another quality interior defensive lineman that you're talking about. Um, but I think Vaughn's, Asi Asi, um, they're not really going to com- probably recruit any more offensive linemen uh, unless, you know, Greg Little comes around and decides he wants to officially visit USC, go to USC, but that's a pretty much of a long shot. I think Max Tapai is another defensive lineman. There's another guy we didn't even talk about when we were talking about Gemmins and Sally Apaga and Camp being committed. Um, you know, you've got, you know, Tapai and you've got Jordan Elliott. So I think those two guys uh, end up in there. Um, I think they're pretty good at, at linebacker if they can kind of keep the guys that they've got committed now. 
Um, eventually, you're going to see probably, i say, Jack Jones, Lamar Jackson, and probably another corner right now. I'd say Jordan Parker, but, you know, it could be maybe David Long. You know, he he unofficially visited USC today. USC's been playing from behind um, because they kind of offered him a little later. Uh, and, and Stanford has built up a really good lead. Talked about, you know, his friendship with uh, Darnay Holmes. And there's kind of, you know, a few guys there that really like seem to like Stanford. And, and David Long is on that list, but he's another guy that's a corner. He had a really good visit to USC today, kind of tweeted out some pictures with him and Sark. Um, you know, USC's trying to, to, to make up some ground. So, I mean, if it was Jack Jones and, and, and David Long, USC would take that all day. If it's Jack Jones and Jordan Parker, USC would take that all day. So I, I think that's kind of, you know, there's going to be probably two corners, maybe three, but we're going to have to see how the numbers sort of shake out because I'm already kind of getting at five, six guys right now. Um, and obviously, you know, if the class stays as is, that's another question in, in, in and of itself. There could be definitely a, a decommitment or two in there, and then you know you kind of open up more spots. But that would that would be sort of my rundown of of uh, right now, kind of the prediction slash what I'd like to see slash what's uh, you know most likely to happen. Okay, and uh, JD and DC had some questions that we already really talked about with the wide receivers. Uh, PJ Reigns for Mission Viejo. He's a Mission Viejo Trojans fan. Similar kind of thing. He talked about the you know. Why the, no defensive lineman? So I think you've already addressed that. So I think we got to everybody's. They, just, they got even though they got three guys committed. Max Defy, like I said, six three two fifty five. He's going to play defensive end. He's going to be an interior defensive lineman for them. Yeah. He's a guy that uh, Christian Tupu. I mean, he's a kind of dead ringer for him. Probably a little more athletic. Plays some uh, running back actually um, from Murray High School. So he's a guy that you know. Great. Here's the thing. This I will say, Salyapaga. Got to get his grades right, and Tapai's got to get his grades right too. So, I mean, one of the reasons I think they went on uh, Sally Apaga so quickly is because they wanted to sort of put him on track, sort of like they did with Noah Jefferson last year. You know, they knew he had some work to do. So, okay, stop with the recruiting process. Stop taking talking about visits and all this other non nonsense. Get in on the books. You know, you're going to USC. Let's get you on the game plan and on the track. Get to the right classes. Boom, we'll get you qualified, and that's sort of what they've done with him. So, um, but you got you know those three defensive linemen that are all interior guys. You got two more guys that they could you know have a good shot at. I mean, Jordan Elliott, Max Spy. If they find, let's say, the class ends up being Keyshawn Camp, Salia Paga, Jennings, uh, Tupai, and Jordan Elliott after signing five interior defensive linemen last year, I think USC fans should be you know fist pumping. Fist pumping. All right. So, Gerard, sometimes you pump the brakes, sometimes you pump the fist. So, this, this is the time. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes you, 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 you pump the brakes, sometimes you do the Jersey, jersey Shore thing. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, we had, yeah, thanks for getting all those questions. There was a lot of them in there, and hope you enjoyed your little staycation. We're going to put you back your nose to the grindstone again and uh, get you cranking out all the content for USCfootball.com, USC recruiting stuff. But you always do a great job, Gerard, and thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate the compliment, and uh, hopefully this was a uh, an insightful podcast. I felt like it was. I felt like the questions were good, and we explained a lot, and you know we got through a lot of information in a short amount of time. Yeah, we'll have an uh, and we'll have an update with David Long. I'll t- I'll be talking to him, so uh, check the site for that. Uh, he had an official visit to you, unofficial visit to you, unofficial, yeah, on Monday. And uh, all right, well, thanks you to Gerard, and thanks for everyone for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And here's a quick message from our sponsor. Michael Moline Real Estate. 
Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 